Hey weirdos, hey wanderers, welcome back to the podcast. On this episode, we talked to Stefan Harris, very nice guy, super, super high energy, super, super fun, and uh, a really, really great storyteller. He's a travel blogger, he is a music writer, uh, he is now an author, and... uh, and he's just an infectious storyteller. Like a, you, you can just listen to the man talk for a long period of time because you can tell he's had a lot of fun in his life. He's really enjoyed himself. And he really enjoys telling the stories about it. Um, but he's just finished a book, uh, his first book. It's called Traveling Through North Korea, Adventures in the Hermit Kingdom. Uh, he's also available at the uh, bigbeaverdiaries.com, which is the name of his website. Uh, Big Beaver is the name of also uh, the small town he comes from in Saskatchewan, just above the American border. Um, And it's a place that is often, uh, people are often surprised that a guy from a town of 55 people has gone on to see so much of the world. And he talks about that in the podcast as well, as to why the the name of his of his uh, of his travels and such, but the book is the bulk of our conversation because I was really interested when I heard about his book, um, and North Korea. I've always been intrigued by North Korea, and it was interesting to hear Stefan's perspective having visited it. Right, um, North Korea seems like the largest isolationist space in the world left like they seem incredibly disconnected uh from the rest of the world uh, intentionally their people are um hidden essentially from reality they're they're brainwashed on a daily basis and um from what stefan i mean saw he you know saw a lot of happiness and joy and it's a really 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 hard thing for me to reconcile in my mind that anybody would be happy in a brainwashed state but i guess that's the point right is to brainwash them into submission i don't know it's a really really interesting conversation with stefan um that adds a perspective to North Korea that I didn't have before. I don't think my opinion on North Korea has changed. Yours might not either. I still think that North Korea is an oppressive regime. I think the cost of this beautiful place that they've built um, off the backs of um, a lot of, you know, communist work and a lot of um, silencing of dissidents is absolutely never worth it. But uh, for what Stephen saw, it's something beautiful. I mean, there's a lot of beauty to North Korea, um, something a lot of people don't think about. We talk about it very early on that, you know, when you think of a communist nation, you almost think in gray. But we'll leave that to all of the podcast. Um, it's an interesting conversation. Stefan is a really great storyteller and it'll add a new perspective or at least um, fill in some of the areas of thought on North Korea. And it's definitely a book worth checking out. It's definitely a blog worth checking out. And I hope you enjoy uh, my conversation with Stefan Harris. Here it is. (laughs) 
Welcome to Wander with Andrew Wilcox. Uh, I'm just going to start it off with one question for you because I think it's really cool that you've gone out to North Korea. What's the biggest misconception that you had shattered in going through North Korea? Um, probably the most interesting thing I found from it was like the, the people were like really, really nice. Like, you know, you wouldn't expect this ever. You expect like very militant, very aggressive, very awful people, but they were like very sweet and very innocent. And it was just like, I don't, and the countryside was beautiful of like waterfalls and like turquoise waters on wonderful white sandy beaches. You can't imagine this. You think nuclear terror mm-hmm. is coming from there. Yeah. You can't imagine that the, 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 the land would look so beautiful. It almost feels like if you were to drive into into it, everything would be in grayscale, the way that it is almost described. Right? Like everything right. should just look yes. gray. Grim, communist, and, and awful, yeah. you know? But it was beautiful. And how did you end up in North Korea? Well, what was the steps you had to take to get there? You know, it's funny. People are always asking me, they're like, it must have been really hard to get in there. And so what happened is I was... I was an English teacher in South Korea like 12 years ago, long, long time ago. And anyhow, I, uh, I had a friend at that time when I was a teacher there. And he wanted me to come with him because there was a brief period for me about two or three years where they kind of opened over the border between South Korea and North Korea. And the South Koreans could cross in. And there's a town at the bottom where they could go to called Kumgang. And... Uh, and anyhow, they could spend time there and, and see like family members who, you know, that this war had separated essentially. And then anyhow, there was they had a fallout and people weren't allowed to go anymore. And my friend wanted me to go, and it was like $170 to go at that time. This is like 2005. I guess it's like 14 years ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh, $100. No <laughs> way, man. I can't afford that. No way. And so we went. And I always regretted not going. And then years went by and People would ask me about my life and all the things I've done, and I'd say, well, you know, I meant, I'd mention how I moved to South Korea to teach English, and people are always like, I'd say I moved to Korea, they say, North Korea? Like, they're expecting <laughs> yeah. like, this rise, right? And I'm just, and I got tired of everyone asking me this, because I'd been through, like, you know, 90-some countries at this time, and I'm like, I'm tired of telling people, like, no, I've been to South Korea, and I just want an answer for it. So finally, I'm like, I'm just going to go. And so I was in Prague, Czech Republic, and uh, it was the day after my birthday, and I was hungover. I was having breakfast with my friends. And uh, they're like, it was the same thing. They're like, oh, how, you know, how did, where have you been? And I was like, been, oh, I spent a bunch of time teaching English in Korea. And they're like, North Korea. And I'm like, <laughs> you know what? I'm like, I've never been there. I'm like, I'm going to go there. And so I had my phone with me, and I brought it out, and I looked up to see what it was going to cost to fly from Prague to Beijing, because I knew that was the only way you could get to North Korea. And it was like cheap. I can't remember what it was. It was like, 300 pounds or something it was mm-hmm. like 500 dollars. it was cheap anyhow and so and i was like well that's not a bad price actually and then i looked and i was like well what's it going to cost because i knew we had to have a guide you couldn't just go to north korea and just walk around you had yeah. to have a guy by your side and i didn't know what that was going to cost i look at the price of that and it was like pretty reasonable it was like 800 dollars. i found i'm like i looked at them like i think i'm just gonna go and they're like you're gonna go i'm like yeah, I'm just going to go. And so basically I just took the steps and just left. Within probably three, four days, I left Prague and headed there. So, wow. So by way, like I had to like manipulate the system a little bit. I, my, my flights actually took me into, uh, into Thailand, and then I had to try to get a visa into China. So it's really easy to get a visa for China if you're in Canada, if you have a Canadian passport. Mm-hmm. But uh, 
I, with a Canadian passport, I'm trying to get a visa for China from Thailand. And so anyhow, I had to, we had to manipulate a bunch of things. We had, I took a friend with me and uh, him and I, we had to book some hotels that we didn't have to pay for, that we had to cancel them. You know, we just book stuff online without a credit card. I had to book those and I had to provide some, I went to, uh, went to a travel agent and I had to like, I give a travel agent $10 to book flights for me from China to Vancouver and then just cancel flights, but print off the itinerary for me first. So I took all this to the government to apply for the visa to get into China. Mm-hmm. And so basically that's kind of how I got the visa. It was more of a hassle to get into China than it was oh, wow. for me to get in North Korea. North Korea was a little bit of a hassle. I had to lie about, I couldn't tell them that I was a journalist because I wasn't allowed. Yeah. And so I had to, they, you know, for occupation, I said, I work with oil and, you know, they asked, there was, you can't be from South Korea and it's a bit of a hassle if you're an American and uh, you can't be a journalist. And so I just, that's kind of how I got into North Korea. Wow, you can't be a, you can be can't be a journalist. I am not a journalist. So this book that I'm holding in my hands is essentially uh, I don't know contraband. This is not allowed to exist. Yeah, that's actually yeah. it's all smuggled out of North Korea. Essentially, like all the photos. Yeah, like you can read in there in the book that uh, um, like I couldn't take a camera in that had GPS on it because the you know you so you couldn't track mm-hmm. where I was at. And uh, yeah, like it was. It was spooky, man. When I got first got in there, you don't know what you're... I didn't tell anybody. Like, I certainly didn't tell my family where I was going. Yeah, yeah. Three people in the world knew where I was going when I went in. The guy that I was traveling with, he stayed in Beijing while I went in. And uh, a girl who's traveled a lot, I knew that she would probably... If something happened to me, she's traveled extensively yeah. like I have. And so I figured she would kind of figure out a way to solve a problem. And I had another friend, actually, who grew up on a ranch not far from where I'm at, who... Uh, I know that he's the kind of guy that would figure out a solution to a problem if something happened. Something came up. I didn't think anything was going to happen to me, but I was just, you know what I mean? I, I wouldn't tell anyone else, just them, and I just disappeared. I yeah. took down, I hid all my social media. Yeah. I took it all down so you couldn't find it, just in case intelligence in North Korea knew anything. Yeah, I decided to go look would, in, yeah. But I just made sure everything disappeared, so I wasn't anyone trying to go in at all. It's just a, a guy who just had a regular job, you know, so... Wow. But that definitely seems like something they would do is if anybody was trying, I don't know, but maybe that's our misconception is the idea like anybody that's trying to travel in there, they would totally go through everything that you have, look for everything that you have, try to make sure that in no way, because there's definitely got to be people trying to do what you did on a regular basis. But yeah, they just, I didn't really get, they didn't go through me really at all. And I just... You know, so I just went and did it. I didn't take anything. I just tried to be as inconspicuous as possible. Like when I went in, I had a, like a pink camera that I had to borrow from the lady who had organized this for me in this city on the on the east coast of China. And uh, I had like four shirts, um, four uh, pairs of underwear, yeah. four pairs of socks, and uh, a pair of jeans and a pair of shorts. Two cigars, one when I got in and one when I got out, essentially, yeah. is what I brought them for. And a pair of sunglasses. And I didn't go in with anything else because I just, I just wanted to, I didn't want to raise any suspicion about yeah. anything. I had, a no, I had a notepad with me. And so it was really, really scary because remember this kid, this Otto Warmbier who died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he died. So basically he went into a coma. I, 
I didn't, no one knew anything, any news about this at the time. And then I land in China and then all this news comes out when I'm in China about this kid who went, <laughs> well, yeah. and I'm already like on my way to North Korea at this point. And there's like all this news about this and I'm like a little bit nervous, but I already paid for flights. I'd paid for the trip. Yeah. I paid for everything. And then, uh, I think it was two days before I was going to go into North Korea. I see on, I saw on like on through the media that this guy had died and I'm like, I'm about to go in there yeah. as a, you know, as a Westerner right after this kid has died. I'm like, maybe a war is going to break out. So I watched like Trump's speech on it about this to make sure nothing bad was going to happen. And I was uncomfortable, but I had already, I had train tickets to get me right to that city on in Eastern China and everything mm-hmm. was taken care of. And I'm like, well, so I had a conversation with a lady who would sort of like organized this trip for me, this Chinese lady. And I was like, look, I'm like, I don't think this is a good idea. And I'm like, I'm afraid I'm going to be a target. She's like, no. She's like, you'll be okay. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, is, is there any other Westerners on this trip? And she's like, nope, you're the only one. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I don't know about this. <laughs> and so she's like, don't worry. I'm like, look, I'm like, what I pay her $800? I'm like, the $800 I give you isn't worth like, you know what I mean? you making $800 and me potentially dying in there. I'm like, mm-hmm. this is like, you know, we got to be reasonable here. She's like, it's okay. And so I, I went all the way there. I went to the city and then after I talked to her on the phone, cause I had everything booked in here, I'm like, might as well just go. So I went there and I wanted to sit down with her. Like we're sitting down and look her in the eyes and ask her questions. Mm-hmm. Cause you could tell from someone's eyes, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, I based a lot of stuff on people's eyes. And, uh, you know, we had this conversation and it seemed like, she convinced me. She's like, it'll be okay. And I'm like, well, all right, well, all right. Well, let's do this then. So then it happened and I went in. That's so, crazy. So, but then you don't know anything, right? Yeah. You don't know like where you're going. Like I'd been to all these countries before this and been through all this immigration and, you know, I crossed their immigration and I couldn't believe that the immigration officials were really friendly, but I was nervous. I'd been through, you know, 90 some countries and now I'm, I'm sort of scared to go, through immigration, I'm dealing with these guys, and like I'm, I'm, I'm scared because the media scared me so much before I do this. Yeah, yeah. So then, and they were like really friendly, and they were like the guy comes by, and you know the North Korean official, and he looks at my passport, and he's like, ah, oh, Canada. You yeah, know? And, yeah, then, yeah. and then you know he's like calling me Mr. Canada after you know, <laughs> and uh, then I'm on the train, and I'm thinking about all the stuff that happened to this guy, this this American auto <laughs> warm beard guy, and. Uh, you know, I'm just, all these crazy things are happening around me. I'm just like, there's like a statue of like two bears boxing as we drive by on the train. And there's like a, a train that goes by with a, with a military tank on it that we meet on the tracks. And I'm just seeing all this crazy, crazy stuff. And I'm, and I always carry a notepad with me and I just want to write down all this stuff, just whatever to, so I don't lose mm-hmm. it all. So you don't forget the memories. Just, my yeah. brain's just taking all this stuff like a sponge. And, uh, but I was so scared that, to take out my pen and paper and write it down. And some North Korean sees me. He's like, ah, American yeah, spy, yeah, yeah. you know? And then I yeah, went up yeah, yeah. with a, a fate like this, this kid happened to him. So I'm, I'm nervous about this. So, but I wanted, I'd, I had to record this. So I snuck into the bathroom of the train and I was like furiously writing down trigger words. So I remember things, right? So I was too nervous to write down in front of everyone. But then eventually I loosened up and I saw like, you know, the, the Chinese on the train, they were taking photos and stuff like that. And I'm like, so I just started writing things down, making sure it was okay. And, it was, but it was pretty scary wow. for a while. I don't know, man. I'd be pretty tense. I'd be pretty tense in that situation. How was the guide? So how do you how do you connect with your guide, and then how does that work? Well, I was the white guy that got off the train. 
Yeah. So <laughs> was it hard to find? <laughs> so I'm, uh, they could pick me out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, once I got to the hotel, there was like a there was a few other Westerners that were there. But mm. when I go to get off the train, this. You know, like I'm, I'm spooked about all this stuff of like, you know, maybe they're going to think I'm a spy. Who mm-hmm. knows what they're going to think? Because it was hot in the news at the time. And then this, this uh, I go to get off this train in Pyongyang. And as I go to step off it, there's a guy who comes up to me. He's like, he's like, uh, Mr. Mr. Stefan. I'm like, yeah. He's like, uh, I am uh, Kim. I am your guide. I was like, okay, right on. So then this guy just kind of like takes care of me. And so for the next five days, this guy is by my side. All the time. Mm-hmm. Like if I, I would go to bed, he would like walk me to the door of my hotel and then I would go to bed. And then in the morning I wake up and I go downstairs for breakfast. He'd be waiting for me. And then I would spend all my time with him and we would just like tour around North Korea. Yeah. That was going to be my next question. Like, did you, was there much freedom from the guide or was it, he was literally next to you the whole entire time? He was party. next to me the whole time. Yeah. 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 And so they, you know, who knows what it is? Like, the real reasons for that, everyone's like, oh, you're not allowed to see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, who who really knows what it is? And he said it's because they're afraid that a war could break out at any time and it's sort of for my safety. Yeah. What he says, who knows what the real well, answer is? I'm sure there's a little bit of both. Probably. I, probably in the end, like if something did happen, they probably. wouldn't They wouldn't want you to be... They, I, 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 From what I've gathered, from what I've read and seen in the past, they want you to walk out with a positive experience. Yeah, that's right. The, the goal for them is that you walk out with a positive experience because they want you to come back to the West and say, this is a beautiful place, right. all of these types of things. So they would, of course... The, you know, part of it would be to, you know, to make sure that they're showing you uh, the nicest part. And part of it would be for your protection. And part of it would be, um, you know, part, probably partially to cover a few things up in the end because um, they definitely, uh, um, I mean, there's, de- you know, there's definitely the other stories that come out of North Korea that we all, uh, uh, you know, we, we all hear. Um what was like? What was it like interacting with people? Like just you know, in any in any regular type of sense, was all was a lot of that done through your guide, or did you get to do a lot of that? Well, you know, you can you can do quite a bit because you're stopping in towns along the mm-hmm. way, and you're getting out and like you're buying like whatever you're stopping in like a little supermarket and you're getting things and and uh, but like what I found, I took a whole bunch of Chinese candy in with me because mm-hmm. who knows what they've had, right? Yeah, and so. But the North Koreans are so polite that I would like, I'd go to offer them candy and stuff like that. And they would never want, they'd never take anything from me. But like, I'd leave it on like a corner of a desk in like a little store and I'd yeah. come back, you know, 20 seconds later to be gone. To be right? gone. Yeah. And so, but they're just so polite. But the people were so innocent and so sweet. Yeah. Like, you, you can't believe this. Like, you know, one of my favorite moments is I was teaching this girl how to high five. She'd never high five before in her life. She's probably oh, wow. twenty seven years old. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. trying to show her how to do this and it, you know, it's making her laugh because she yeah, doesn't yeah, really yeah. understand this concept. But I'm showing this to her and the sound we make and we'd slap her hands. Yeah, and yeah. Really like everyone was quite innocent like that. The education is like you know, there's no exposure to, you know, a television show. So yeah. she's never never seen she doesn't it. watch like, you know, you know, North American sports or mm-hmm. whatever. And so she's never really seen that happen before. That was brand new to her, a high five. Wow. Wow. Huh. That's crazy to think. Um, was there any experiences in North Korea that, was there any points in which you were 
uh, worried or uh, scared that they were going to, you know, you're going to get busted, the door is going to get busted in the middle of the night, you're going to get pulled out? None of that. The only thing that ever happened to me that made me nervous, like, you know, they talk about how they're, oh, there's cameras in the room and microphones are listening to you talk about North Korea, right? Who knows? I yeah. don't really believe it, but it could be, you know. We're staying in a place called the, it was called the Yangakdo International Hotel. And it was 47 stories tall. And there was probably only 40 of us in there, but it was this beautiful, beautiful hotel. It's all like marble and fish tanks. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know, this is a multi, multi-million dollar hotel we're staying in with a revolving restaurant at the top. And it was like the West Edmonton Mall of, of uh, hotels. Yeah. It was like in the basement, there was like a bowling alley where you could drink. And then they had like a swimming pool where you could party. And they had like... Uh, it was like a ping pong area where you could, they had like a bartender and they had like a massage area with a bartender. And it was like all this. It was a really, really cool little place. So I never felt uncomfortable there ever. The only time that I ever had like something really uncomfortable happen to me on the whole trip. So we went to the DMZ, mm-hmm. the demilitarized zone yeah. between North and South Korea. It's, uh, it's two kilometers south into uh, South Korea and it's two kilometers north into North Korea. So it's four kilometers in total. And... Uh, Anyhow, we went down there, and uh, I was on a bus with probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 Chinese people and me and my guide. And the Chinese people had their guide, right? So we stop in at the DMZ, and there's, like, a place where you can buy, like, this crazy, crazy, like, T-shirts and, and I don't know, weird, like, I don't know, North Korean chocolate, I guess, and, and postcards, like, really awesome propaganda postcards that are crazy of like a uh, North Korean man, they're cartoon, right? North Korean yeah, yeah. man stepping on the neck of like a, of an American soldier with it says US oh, army wow. on his helmet. Like, so I Jeez. bought some of these and I was yeah. mailing these to my American friends, right? So you see like this crazy stuff. So they're in there buying that stuff. And I went in after, but initially I was standing outside and uh, I'm talking to Kim and Kim speaks really, really good English, right? Mm. And I have a notepad in my hand I didn't think about it at all. It didn't cross my mind. I was just doing what I do normally. Someone says something interesting to me, I write it down in my notepad, yeah. you know, for notes. And I'm writing down this stuff, and I hadn't thought about it. And all of a sudden, this Korean, North Korean soldier starts walking towards Kim and I. Uh. And he's looking at me, and I realize that he wants to talk to me about something. And I realize it's because I have a notepad in my hand. And I'm like, this is probably really, really bad. And so he comes over, and he has these really, really steely eyes. And... You know, and of course, I don't speak any Korean, and, 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 and he doesn't speak any English. And so everything has to go through Kim. Through Kim. And then out of Kim again to yeah. have this conversation. And he's like, may I ask you a few questions? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And so at this time, I took my notepad and I slid it in my back pocket to just like get this out of the way. Like this, this is bad. And so anyhow, he, I shake his hands, be friendly. And you know what I mean? He like squeezes my hand really, really hard. Right. Yeah. To be, like, show me how yeah, aggressive yeah, yeah. is. Whatever. And, and so anyhow, then he's asking me, he's like, uh, may I ask you where you're from? And I tell him from Canada. And he's like, oh, you're from Canada. He's like, so, uh, it's America. Right. And I'm like, no, not quite. I'm like, we are, uh, we're, uh, we live separate country. And he's like, yeah. He said, but there's America below you and there's America above you, right? You're just in the middle of all this. And I said, well, not really. I said, actually, uh, Canada's a bigger country by mass. There's Alaska up to the Northwest of us and, uh, you know, United States to the South of us, but it's a completely different entity. 
And he's like, uh, and I was there on the 60, mm. 67th anniversary of the start of the war. And he said, today's the 67th anniversary of the war. Uh, your country fought with the Americans against us. What do you have to say about that? That's what oh, jeez. That's what he asked me. And like, oh. he's, he's not asking me this. Is this like very, very steel questions. Yeah, and it's yeah, really yeah. making me really uncomfortable. And I, I laughed uncomfortably. And I said, I don't think I'm going to answer that. Yeah, yeah. And so then... He asked me a couple more things, and he said, uh, "He said, do you know that we killed 440,000 Americans in the war? Wow. <laughs> and I said, no, actually, I never knew that number. I'm like, holy. And at that time, someone called him away to go do something. Yeah. I was just, like, relieved that I didn't have to deal with oh, this man wow. anymore. That was pretty intense, and it was the only time in the whole, my whole experience in North Korea that I felt really, really uncomfortable. Yeah. Where I was like, it was really an unpleasant moment. Well, and I would—it's it, not surprising. I would think that 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 was a military person that you had the issue with, right? Yes. Because I don't think the general public, you know, would—you know—I'm I'm sure they're definitely see the boatloads of the propaganda. But I mean, the military would—they'd definitely be the ones that'd be the most, you know, because. Uh, Looking at some of the stuff that I've seen on, on on television and stuff, it seems very regimented, very you know fascist uh, like stylings. So yeah, it's not surprising that that would be where the issue would have come in the most. Wow, that would be a very uncomfortable exchange. <laughs> it was an uncomfortable. Wow. <laughs> um, but hey, oh, you know, you come out the other side, but it's fine. What was really really interesting was hearing like the North Korean perspective on the Korean War. Because, yeah. of course, I don't know, I lived in South Korea for, you know, 17 months. And, like, I, uh, even all my time there, I didn't really know much about the Korean War. Mm -hmm. In my mind, it was like, and it was probably in most people's minds, it's like, well, the, you know, the North wanted communism, the South, they wanted democracy. Yeah. And so they had this big war, and then it was, the country was just separated. But, you know, then I heard the North Korean version of why this war was. And basically, you know... Korea was taken over by Japan in 1910 mm -hmm. and they were a, a Japanese colony for 35 years through World War II and, you know, I guess through World War One as well. And so then the World War II ends in 1945 and Japan has to forfeit Korea and Korea becomes an independent country again. And so for five years, they're an independent country trying to get themselves together again after having, you know, 35 years of rule from the Japanese and then this war happens. And then in 1950, five years later, the, according to the North Koreans, they were like seen an opportunity to have a land base to have an access point to China from land because China was such a mystery at that mm -hmm. time in 1950. And so that's why the Koreans said the, North, the, the Korean War started as the Americans come in and they started pushing to take over that piece of land. And so then, of course, the Koreans resisted against it. And uh, then the Japanese backed the Koreans. And so then, you know, what it all come down to is that the, the war kind of just becomes a ceasefire. It's still not a peace treaty there. It's a ceasefire. Yeah. And after three years of war. And, uh, yeah, so then, you know, the North resisted and the South basically became essentially an American colony. Colony. Like, is really what it is. I mean, of course, it's South Korea. It's a, very, it's a very South Korean place. But it's, you know, there's a huge American army base there. It's hugely... You know, it's the amount of mili military soldiers in Seoul is like outstanding. You know, live there, and but you know, it's, it's like a huge party area where all these Korean or where all these American military soldiers live. It's like the party area of oh, Seoul. Oh, really? Yeah. So, 
definitely there's a, a, a very distinct uh, contrast between spending some time in North Korea and spending some time in South Korea then. Yeah, like, you know, I mean, maybe, who knows who has it right, but maybe the North Korean story is more accurate than the one we've been fed, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, it's could be just as likely. Like, what I saw was a lot of propaganda from, like, our side, really. Uh, oh, what I saw from over there. I, you know, everyone's like, you're going to see all kinds of propaganda. But if, I kind of looked at it from the other way. And so I just think that was a really, really interesting thing. But it was, what a rich experience to go there uh, and be a part of all this. You know? Well, and I think that, like, I think you touched on it in that sense is that it seems to me that Korea itself, the entire country, got used as a pawn in what was the larger global war. Exactly. And both sides got manipulated. Yes. Uh, You know, I I definitely, not to say anything is correct in North Korea. I think there's a lot wrong there. But there's definitely, you know, manipulation that goes on in, in South Korea as well because, you know, America wanted to maintain something. Yes. There. That's right. Right. And then there's definitely interest for Japan, interest for China, interest for everybody in that very small country. Like what's the like for to, to travel North Korea, how long does that take? Well, it's it's a larger country. I can't remember the exact landmass. There's eighty million people in the Korean peninsula, twenty million in North Korea, and sixty million in South Korea. Wow. And North Korea is actually the bigger landmass by a small margin mm-hmm. than South Korea. But I mean it's Compared to like a country like this, it's a very small country, but it's a fairly good sized country. Um, to travel by train, I can't remember. I would take the the fast train from Seoul to the bottom of Busan, and it was like four hours on the speed train. The speed train does like a hundred and maybe maybe two hundred and fifty kilometers an hour, maybe two hundred kilometers an hour. Wow! And it takes that long to get to the bottom of it. So, huh? It's a good sized piece of land, really. Was your trip? How much of your trip was planned out? That the whole itinerary for North Korea. It's the first time I've ever traveled where there was like an itinerary laid out. Like everything was where we're going to be here. This is what time we're going to be arriving here, and this is where we're going. It's like it's like traveling for like you know retired people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. We go to the travel agent. We give them the money. They book everything, so I don't have to get lost. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Uh and so there was parts of it that you know, it's amazing when you get there and you see the countryside. Like I got on this train. The contrast between before I left, I was in Dandong, China. And there's a river that separates uh, North Korea and China. And I was out there in the evening and like North Korea is dark. You know what I mean? I'm, I yeah. filmed it. You can't see anything. And then like China is all just, uh, you know, really so much light pollution Lights. and illumination. Yeah, yeah. And I get on this train across the bridge and go through authorities I was saying, describing going in. And it's just, it's just all these rice patties everywhere you look. It's just people, people from, there's, people are nowhere. There's like no town, no village, no nothing. There's no traffic on the roads. There's nothing. But there's people everywhere working in the fields. And I don't know where they come from, but they're out there working in the fields. Wow. And another fascinating thing about it that I learned is my, uh, my guide, Kim, every single person in North Korea, maybe every single male, they do 10 days of farming, uh, 10 days of planting, and 10 days of harvest. And so you're working in a government job, you're a yeah. teacher, whatever you're doing. You, 10 days uh, uh, in the spring and 10 days in the fall are dedicated to farming. And oh, so, so every year. Every year. Yeah, every year. And so I asked him about this. I'm like, what's that like? I'm like, do you like it? He's like, yeah. He's like, it's great. He's like, I go to the same farm every year and I hang around with the same 10 guys and we have like a good time. Yeah, and we yeah. just go and do this. 
And I'm like, that's kind of a cool thing because everyone is like in touch with the land, essentially, you know? That I think is great. Yeah, it's a great yeah. for base roots, right? And so, anyway, I'm like, what's, what's better? And he's like, well, I like the harvest a lot better. It's not as hard on the back, you know, because mm. planting is a lot more bending over, right? So I just thought that was a fascinating thing they're doing. Wow. Well, I just, yeah, I wonder what they're, the, the, it, is it a, so would they be rotating? Like, is it just to continue the harvest all the time? Or is there a specific time that the harvest, I don't know how the well, harvest goes for that, but like, is there a specific time where they just need that many more workers to get it done? Or is it rotated through so that everybody is doing their part for harvesting? And planting. Well, he goes to the same farm all the time, so I guess he has like whatever that farmer has decided that he needs people from I don't know the first mm-hmm. September till the eleventh of September for the harvest, and they always go to the same place. So I guess that all the farmers determine what they need for people at a certain specific time. And I don't know how rice grows. I don't know. I think yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is, yeah. Like if it's because they have a winter in Korea, right? Yeah. It gets cold there, so it must be something that mirrors. You know, North American harvest, harvest, yeah, and, and planting a little bit as well, but I don't know exactly to how well it follows that. So yeah, maybe there's a big portion of time where there's like, I don't know, the teachers aren't in the schools. I don't know how actually. That's an interesting question that I don't know how they really balance that off, but they must yeah. do that. Huh? But that's a lot of organization. Yeah, that's that a is. lot of organization. Yeah. That's a lot of. Uh, well, that's a lot of the state <laughs> yeah. doing the doing the planning on that one. Really interesting. Um, did you did you feel like Kim uh, <laughs> as a guy? Like, did you feel you got to know him as a dude, or does it seem like he put on the the tour that he always puts on? I don't know. It was I made him do a couple of things that he really didn't like. Like, oh really? Uh, on my last night that I was there, I, like it was only him and I together. Yeah. And so I asked him a lot of really interesting questions. And I asked him a lot of complex questions. And it was really interesting to see his, his answers. Like, they don't have internet over there, right? They have no exposure to things. Yeah. So they have something called intranet, which is government regulated. Oh, absolutely. And, and, and so he can look at maps of, like, Korea, North yeah. Korea. But he could never look like a, at a map of, like, you know, Britain. He yeah. doesn't have any idea what any of that stuff looks like. Or... And the music he listens to, there the the state gives like I don't know different genres of music, and so he had like four different genres he could listen to, like North Korean classical or North Korean North Korean rock or all these different things. So there's people who actually have that job to make that music, yeah. Which I think is really really cool too. And then there was like maybe four different television program television stations where he could watch different programs that he enjoyed watching as well. And and then so I asked him. I'm like, do you think the media is good in North Korea? And he said, well, he said, I think it's pretty good. And so I was getting him to go on his phone and read off headlines for me. And the headlines were like, Antarctica is melting. Um, There's no water in Peru. Uh, Ukraine is a mess. Um, uh, Trump breaks agreement with with Cuba. And it was all these that he's reading to me. And I'm like, I thought it was funny because all of the headlines you were reading me were doom, man. So I'm just like... Well, yeah, you don't want to leave North Korea. It's bad out it's there. It's horrible out there. That's the last place we want to go. <laughs> this is good. It's safe. Yeah. <laughs> but he, I'd ask him like questions. He had these pins. Everyone wears a pin of like uh, Kim Jong Il and Kim Il Sung. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's one of 
so the the leaders have been Kim Il Sung was a guy who fought in the war, right? And he's yeah. he's the legend. He's he's God to them, right? Yeah. And by the way, these guys are laying in state. By the way, today you can go look at their. You can't go look at your bo- at yeah. their bodies, but you can if you're North Korean on yeah. four days a year. And I'll get into that in a second. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. But um, he, uh, um, I, I wanted one of these pins from him. And so you have Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Il, and Kim Jong Un, which is you know mm-hmm. father, son, son, and. Uh, I asked him like, well, because he liked. I had these crazy sunglasses that were like pixelated and really, really strange. And I had this belt buckle that, or I had this this belt that had like skulls on it. And he's like, I like your belt. And I don't know why he has a Spanish accent right now, but uh, that's how I'm doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he he is. Uh, he's like, I oh, I like your sunglasses. And I was like, I'll trade you my sunglasses for that pin of. Kim Jong-un, because every single person in the country is wearing one of either Kim Jong-un and Kim Il-sung or Kim Jong-un. And, uh, and he's like, no, I can't. I'm like, I'll trade you my sunglasses and my belt for one of those. And he's like, no, can't. I'm like, yeah. why not? He's like, he's like, because these people, I wear this pin over my heart because that's where these people live. They live in my heart. I was like, wow. wow. So they're like, they're legit. They love their leaders there. <laughs> And you can go and you can see the bodies? So this is really interesting. Yeah, I'm like, he said they're laying in state. I'm like, what? <laughs> Kim, Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung are laying in state. He's like, yeah. He's like, they're frozen. And during like the Workers' Public Party, Workers' Republic Party of Korea is like a special holiday. You can go look at them. And you can go look at them at like whatever North Korea Day is. You can go look at them on Kim Il-sung's birthday and you can go look at them on Kim uh, Jong-il's birthday. And so I said, what do they look like? Mm-hmm. I'm like, have you seen them? He's like, yeah, I've seen them. I'm like, what do they look like? He's like, they look normal. He said, they look like they looked when they were alive. I said, what are they wearing? He's like, just regular clothes that you see them wearing every day. I'm like, that's amazing. Wow. <laughs> I would have loved Weird. to have seen that just to go look at that. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I would imagine they go in there and they ball their eyes out when they look at them. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, right? So, anyhow. Interesting and bizarre. Did you get any sense from any of them that um, <clears throat> and was there anybody that you met that seemed disconnected from what seems to be the culture there? Like, no. The, the, yeah, like Nobody. everybody was bought in. Everyone's bought into it. Yeah. But, you know, I saw happy people. Yeah. I didn't see... Everyone, everyone's like, oh, the poverty and they've been starving and all this really, really negative stuff. And of course, I they I only seen what they showed me, but I was there for five days, and the whole time we're on the move, we're going from yeah. place to place to place, and we're going through towns and we're going through different little villages and stopping here. I never saw anyone hungry. I never saw anyone wearing rags. Everyone looked like they had a pretty comfortable life. Yeah. Everyone. And so I don't really know. I think that's a lot of bad media on this side is what we get. Because, of course, it's a American enemy, really, right? And so, yeah, oh, absolutely. So, of course, we're being fed, you know, this, this media of, like, it's this terrible zone of awful things. You know, like, I thought everyone looked pretty comfortable. Everyone looked pretty happy. And they looked like they were living a pretty okay life. Of course, it's communism. but And so I asked him about... This, he said, you know, he's telling me he's like a doctor and makes the same thing that, you know, the, the garbage man makes. This is a cliche you hear a hundred times. And, 
And I said, can you be, how do you choose what you want to be? And he said, you can be whatever you want to be. He said, you go to university, you say, you decide you want to be a doctor. He said, you study and you become a doctor. And then when you're done, the government will place you in a job somewhere within the country. He said, it's different than what your life is like where you, you know, you go and study to be a journalist. Then after, you know, 400 journalists come out of the same, you know, area of the world. And then uh, 400 people are fighting for three jobs. He's like, it's... He said, it's different for us. He said, if you want to learn how to run a hydroelectric station, you go study for that. And then once you're done your studying, they put you in a job to run a hydroelectric station. I was like, that's very interesting. So in a way, I do see some things about their lives that are a lot easier than ours. Mm. I'd never trade my passport for his because, you know, it's nice to be able to have the freedom to move around. But in a way, I don't think that he has the stress that we mm-hmm. have. Well, that's always the the hardest conversation to have because it's, it's the same as, as it's, it's like, would I choose ignorance over knowing everything and being unhappy? Like, would I be blissful ignorance yeah. or, or knowledge and, unha- and, and at least bouts of unhappiness. And I, you know, as, as you said, yeah. I would always choose uh, knowledge with bouts of unhappiness, yeah. but there's definitely a point where you look at something like that and you go, you know, if the goal of life is to have the most enjoyment and the least amount of suffering, and if they're not suffering, then is it that bad? Yeah, that's right. right? Like, like, you know, you, you get married, and then once you get married, you get a, the government gives you a house for you and your wife, and you start mm-hmm. a family, and you have two children, and then... You decide to have a third child, and then the house seems a little bit too small, and so you move to a bigger place. The government provides that, right? So in a way, I'm like, it's not so bad. And you're entitled to one liter of beer a day. <laughs> so I'm like, what? I was like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. He's like, I'm, I get uh, vouchers for one liter of beer, essentially the equivalent of that a day. I'm like, wow. So like, I mean, if you didn't drink all, if you didn't drink all week, and then uh, comes on a Friday night, you could. You'd have seven liters of beer, and if your buddy didn't, you know, if you didn't drink for a month and you just took all that, uh, took all those vouchers, you could throw a pretty crazy party. (laughs) Wow. And play a bunch of really loud North Korean rock. North Korean rock music, yeah. (laughs) I think where the other one that becomes tough for a lot of people is, is the treatment of anybody that dissents. Yeah. I think is where really a lot of the issues come up. Right. Right. That's a, uh, I'm not, I don't know a lot. Yeah. And I mean, you wouldn't have been able to see any of that. Yeah. You you know, you hear all kinds of crazy, but you hear all the stories that you get from that, which, which, yeah. And that's, and who knows what goes on in that one. But, um, wow, that's crazy. I don't know. A liter of beer, a liter of beer a day. (laughs) Yeah. That's your entitlement. (laughs) That's a lot. It's a lot of beer. I think that's a lot of beer. (laughs) Well, it's three uh, beer a day, I guess. Three small bottles. Yeah. Um, yeah, one thing I did see in the book when I was flipping through um, was that with, you know, the the mobility of if you had a couple of kids, you get the bigger the bigger home. And, yeah. And that's kind of crazy. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, I mean, it's great. I mean, in that type of system, if, if the system is functioning well, that's great. Yeah. In that sense. Um, oh, another really, really interesting thing. Sorry to cut you off. No, no worries. Is uh, Pyongyang itself, when, when you think of like a communist country, like, you know, I've been through lots of the stuff in Eastern Europe and it's always like mm. gray block flat apartments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Pyongyang is like 
a beautiful, vibrant, colored city. Like all the buildings are like blues and oranges and like, I couldn't believe it when I got there, what color the city was. It was I thought it'd just be so dark and depressing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was gorgeous. Once again, grayscale. Yeah, yeah. Totally. And those, and those, those like, uh, yeah, those, those Russian-esque. Yes. Uh, that's where you Yeah, that's, that's where I think, goes. right? Yeah. Like, uh. I just watched the new. Where you've seen the new Rock? Or what was it called? Uh, Creed Two. Okay, no, I haven't. No, seen it. okay, that was a good movie, but uh, it's not as good as Creed. But it was a good movie. But anyway, there's a scene in there with Ivan Drago, and they live in those those square, yeah. gray, concrete apartments, and you just feel like you're compartmentalized <laughs> as, a, totally. as a human being, and that's yeah. kind of what we all picture when it comes to communism: yeah. is that it's that everybody is just sort of stored in these cement blocks yeah yeah and that's all you get your cement block and there you go you look through the book of uh of photos in there or but like even like even if you just no one probably ever think to do it but just look up like what pyongyang looks like just google it i mean, there mm-hmm. must be photos up there and it's just you can find them on a website as well but it's like it's really really beautiful and, and very pretty it's the prettiest like it's the most colorful city i've seen outside of latin america in the wow. world Latin American cities are yeah. very, very beautiful. I always right? have a little colors. Always full of colors, but yeah, this is this is the next thing to that that I've ever seen. Blew my mind, really. One thing that I, I noticed looking through it, it seems a lot of space. Yeah, there is a lot of that. There's a lot of space. I think yeah. you kind of touched on it earlier, but there's a lot of space. But you have in that city, some of it's so beautiful, like the the metros they took us into. Went and rode the metro. It's the deepest metro in the world, and. Uh, and so you get on this thing and like you go down into the, into the subway stations and they're like, you know, if you go to a subway station in like London or in New York or something, they're just the gross cement places where you're at. There's rats, you know, they're never very nice, but they're, you know, subway works so great. But it, it was like an opera house to go into it in North Korea and the ones we went into, they were beautiful. There was music playing when we went downstairs into them and there's all these North Koreans coming up and down the escalators. And when you get down to the bottom, it's just like, paintings and, and color mm-hmm. and everything everywhere. And then there'll be like a big, a big, uh, mural of like, uh, Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il walking along together, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then there'll be like photos of them. Like, you know, you'd see, you know, have the queen when we were kids in school, you'll have like photos of them in like every room. they will be like Kim Jong-il and Kim Il-sung hanging out together. And then you, any place you go to that, that means anything to the North Koreans, you uh, even like the subway station. You go to the subway station as you're entering. It's like Kim Jong Il and Kim Il Sung uh, entered this uh, metro station on July 14th, 1991, together. And so it marks the occasion that they were actually yeah. there that day. They, they mark everyone because the wow. gods have touched it, have graced it. Oh my god! <laughs> it's crazy. see that's the part that I get to me. It's crazy to think about. Like <laughs> it's wild. And so you have like construction, and so. There's an area, I can't remember the exact name of it, in Pyongyang that is like all brand new structure. One day we leave the hotel, and as we leave it, they're just soldiers wearing hard hats. And there's like thousands of them. And I'm like, what's going on here? He's like, oh, there are the workers. He's like, uh, and he, we went down the street and he showed us. And he's like, yeah, they built this, I think it was last year. I'm like, what do you mean they built this last year? And he's like, they built this, this whole street. All There's like... All these like skyscrapers, all these buildings that these 50,000 soldiers had been just building for like the last year. They built all the streets and built all these like crazy buildings and stuff like that too. They just go and hammer out things really, really yeah, fast yeah. as like a big group of people and then go back to like standing on the side of the road to direct traffic again after. <laughs> it's 
just bizarre. Wow. <laughs> and there are no cars anywhere? None. They're, like, you mean, they'll, you'll come across a car and it'll be like a, a truck and there'll be like a North Korean laying underneath it. There'll be like greasy and oily parts laying all around it, stopped on the side of the road. And there'll be like, I don't know, 11 people, women and children standing in the back of the truck waiting for them to get the truck fixed so they can carry on down yeah. the road again. <laughs> but I'm sure that a lot of people have never been in a vehicle in their life. And, and, the how, and the roads are like straight and they're like long and there's, they're wide, like, you know, like a, a four lane highway. And there's like far wider than what we have here. Like they're huge, huge things. Yeah. And they have like incredible infrastructure. Like the cloverleafs are like amazing on these places. And, but there are no vehicles anywhere. <laughs> I stood on the road one time to take a photo of like this monument. There's monuments everywhere you go. The country is gorgeous with yeah, stuff yeah. that they've constructed. And uh, I'm standing in the middle of the road. You can't hear a vehicle. There's nothing nowhere. I'm trying to take a picture of this, this monument that goes over top of the highway. And Kim was yelling at me. He's like, get back here. That's unsafe. You need to get... I'm just like, there's no cars coming, Kim. He's like, get, <laughs> he's like, get back here. It's dangerous. I'm like, you can't even hear a car, Kim. Yeah, like, <laughs> I'm okay, man. That's funny. <laughs> Oh, the adventures of Stefan and Kim. <laughs> oh, when I when I went to leave, <laughs> I was uh, I when I went to finish up the trip. Uh, um, there's so many things I I could talk about. Yeah. When I went to go leave, I knew it would make him really uncomfortable if I hugged him. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. He's standing there and he come to shake my hand. He's like, oh, Mr. Beavers, you know, thanks for coming. It was a very good trip. And I said, yeah, yeah, thanks, Kim. And I brought him in and I hugged him. And it just like, it made him feel so, <laughs> so comfortable oh God. by a man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially oh, like a no. Western man. It was hilarious. That's so <laughs> funny. Oh, man. <laughs> Human contact. Awful. So what was the inspiration about writing the book? Well, so I wrote Traveling Through North Korea because I was like, I don't know. Sometimes it's tough to name the book because people think that I'm like trying to sell a, a travel guide, but mm -hmm. it's just like my journal for my time there. Yeah. And I get people walk by like, well, I'm not traveling there anymore. I'm like, well, it's not a guide. It's just a crazy yeah, story. Yeah, it's just a story. Yeah. But I was working a job in Europe and I was uh, working for a company that was uh, taking tours of people. I was taking groups of 16 people around Europe to just essentially to party. And like we'd go, we'd stop in like Budapest and we'd have to Prague and I was like doing these different rounds. And I uh, had a, I had a visa to work in Ireland and you know, the UK or how, how Europe works is that, you know, if you're Irish, you can go and live in Spain or you can go live in uh, Hungary, whatever. It's all to you and just go start a job there. And so I had a, I had a, Irish visa in my Canadian passport because you could apply for it as a Canadian to go over there and just go get a job and you can just go work in a restaurant or whatever government job if you get that. And so I was treating that visa like I had like a right to work in any country in Europe, which mm. essentially it isn't, but I was treating it like that because I was hoping they'd just kind of, they'd like me enough and they just kind of forget about it. And so, but what happened is my boss knew about it and then my boss's boss found out about it. And then my boss's boss found out about it and they basically fired me. Yeah. And I was in Prague when this happened and I was like, I had such a great job and I lost a job. I'm like, ah. I would go do something better than this job. So I went here and so I went over there to go do that. And then I, I was just going to write articles from a website because I thought they'd be interesting articles. And then I was like, well, maybe they were getting a lot of attention when I was pumping them out. 
Yeah. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll just turn this into a book. So I, I, I had got a book with it. So. I had a good laugh when I searched the book. I mean, you sent me the link on Amazon. Yeah. You are the number one bestseller in South Korean travel guides. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, it's not a South Korean travel guide. No. If one, it is not in South Korea, and two, it is not a travel guide. <laughs> it is it is a memoir of your, tra- of your trip through North Korea. It's the best-selling travel, or it was, like, last week sometime, it was the best-selling travel guide of China as well. Oh, and wow. I, I don't Honestly. know why it's that, but that's <laughs> what it is. That's funny. What also made me laugh as I looked at the list, the number three is 101 places to get fucked up before you die. <laughs> is North Korea in there? I don't know. <laughs> it must have been because when I searched it, I would be interested to see how you could get fucked up in North Korea. <laughs> that was but, a hassle. Uh, yeah. So I, uh, one night I asked Kim on my last night, I was kind of alluded to this before. I was like, I need you to take me out. I'm like, I'm tired yeah. of being around all these tourists. I want to see the city. Yeah. And so he's like, oh, he didn't want to. And he was tired. I'm like, come on. I'm like, I've been stuck on a bus with these Chinese tourists for days. I'm like, take me out. And he's like, he didn't want to. I'm like, come on, kid. And I was just pressuring him, pressuring him. And he was feeling so bad. So he got on the phone and he made some phone calls. And then it turned out that he couldn't, because we always had a Chinese guide with the Chinese people. He's, there's always two guides. So there always has to be two guides everywhere people go. So to take me out, he had to get another guide to come with me. Okay. And so he had to round up another guide to come. And he didn't want it, he didn't want it. And I guilt-tripped him so bad. And I'm just like, come on, I got to go see something of the city that's not part of this tour. And so I'm like, take me to a bar. I'm like, I want to go to a bar where like the local Korean men go hang around. And I just want to go have some beer and just go hang out. And he didn't want it, he didn't want it. And so finally he broke and he's like, fine. And he was mad. He <laughs> you know, took me out and so... There was uh, another guy. There was a guy from Mexico that happened to be on this, that happened to be staying in the hotel. And, you know, Kim knew his guide. And so that guide and Kim and I, I had to pay them and I had to pay a taxi. And then so this Mexican fellow got to come along. His name was Juan Carlos, which I thought was very Mexican. Very, yeah. <laughs> so Juan Carlos and I went out and we went to this bar. And we got there and there was no one in there except for Juan Carlos and me and our two guides and our driver and two waitresses. And, uh, then I found out, and so I was like, oh, <laughs> this is not tons of fun. Wow, yeah. And I found out that the bar had closed at 8 o'clock and everyone went home. That's when everyone goes home. There's no, like, late night discotheque. Yeah, yeah, no one's drinking until, yeah. Yeah, so, like, at 8 o'clock, everyone was gone. And so they had, this was, like, probably 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. They had to specifically call two waitresses. You know, he had to find a bar that would do this for us. And they had to get two waitresses that would come in to open the building to let us in, to let us just be the same people we were somewhere else and sit there and just say we did it. So oh, it my God. But, you know, but it was a... And then the kid but was you like, see why he's like, it's such a hassle. Yeah, like, oh, my God. Right. So Kim's like, are you happy now? I'm like, yeah, yeah I'm happy. I'm really sorry, though. <laughs> but then so we got to drive around Pyongyang, and I'm like, I want to see this building. I can't remember what it's called, but it's, it's the tallest unoccupied building in the world. Maybe you've heard about this. Yeah. In 1980s, maybe 1987, Kim Jong-il wanted to, he was going to build the tallest building in the world, and he did. He started it, and he started construction on it, and uh, it was going to be this elaborate, crazy hotel. I don't know who he thought was going to be staying there, because there's still no one in North Korea, Mm. but he was going to build this amazing, elaborate hotel, and it's this crazy pyramid that just stands out in the middle of the city, above uh, everything else. There's this this huge pyramid amongst all these colors. And uh, it's 105 stories tall. And since then, there's been other buildings that are taller than it. Yeah. And so today, and he ran out of money and couldn't finish it. So it sat unoccupied for like 30 years. 
And wow. so they have like a couple stores in it now, but it's like, it's today it holds the record. It's the tallest unoccupied building in the whole world. Weird. That is <laughs> yeah. just, that's why the whole thing is just strange to me. And I've, I've even read stories about similar things in China where the government will start a project just in order to employ people and then it'll just be like left empty or near empty or they'll build one of them I watched the thing of they built complete replicas of like American areas so that people could go and kind of just walk around them instead of traveling to America it's such a strange thing like right. the, this communist mind I don't know it's it's really crazy to me, but um, it's uh, actually you just touched on China, and it's amazing how much different China is. Um, we took a, as I was saying, my friend and I we went across. We were in Thailand, and then I, I had a friend in Taiwan, and so I'd never been to Taiwan, and, and so we took a we flew from uh, Bangkok to Taipei, and we're in Taiwan. Then we took a boat from Taiwan across to China, and we got there, and then we took a bus to a major city, I can't remember the name of it right now, and for two hours we just traveled. And I traveled China 10 years before that or 12 years before I was recently there again, before I went to North Korea. And how much China has changed is crazy in those amount of years. It's like, when we traveled, there was like, there's empty spaces and stuff like that. And you know, the crazy thing about China is you're just traveling along on a train like this is what I found 10, 12 years ago when I tell the story and I'm, you'll get to the city and you're like, what city are we in? And someone will be like, we Shay Wong. I don't know. It's just yeah. a name I just made up. And you're like, how big is we Shay Wong? They're like 7 million people. And then you ride a train for like another hour and you're like, where are we at right now? And they're like, hi young Quinn. And you're like, how big is hi young Quinn? And they're like, Four million people, and you're just going through all these major cities that are major, bigger than any city in in yeah. Canada. You never even heard of it before. It's yeah. a bonkers thing. Wow. But this, but there are there were open spaces that time. This time we rode this bus, and all along the sides of the roads for like two hours we traveled from the ferry to this to this city, and for two hours it's just construction on each side of just flats they're building, and there's nothing in them. Most of them are empty. Just construction everywhere you go. Like if you own a cement company in China, wow, <laughs> the money yeah. because you've just been pouring cement for years now, for the last ten years, and they're all empty. But they're just there's just an entire country of them. They line the roads everywhere you go now. That wasn't like that before. They're really building there. Huh. That's crazy. And we haven't talked about it much, but because we wanted to focus on your book, Traveling Through North Korea, which is, you've got out now. Uh, it's available on Amazon. We also want to talk about Coles. <clears throat> yeah, you can you can get this book on Amazon Canada, Traveling Through North Korea, Adventures in the Hermit Kingdom, Stephen Harris. Um, but a really, really great thing that happened to me, you know, Fort McMurray has been wonderful to me. I come to this city and I've spent time here and worked around here. And... Uh, I went into Kohl's with my book when it first came out, and I took it in, and the, the ladies there were really enthusiastic about it, and I'm trying to get my book into stores, and I've never done mm-hmm. this before. This is all brand new to me, and I'm trying to get in the store, and I, I took it in there, and then if I had tried it in a major city like, I don't know, Edmonton, Vancouver, Toronto, I probably would have had a really, really difficult time getting, this, getting any traction with it because they got to take the time, and they had to enter this book into their system. And for like chapters, Indigo and Kohl's, right? It all falls mm-hmm. under one umbrella. One lady owns all these stores. And so 
across the entire nation. And so anyhow, when I uh, took it into them, they were enthusiastic about it. And the ladies here in the Coles in Fort McMurray had to take this book and enter it completely through. And so now because they took the time to do that, this book is available nationally yeah. just because they did that. And I probably wouldn't have got that anywhere else. And so because of that now, because it's in the system, I show up in a place like Edmonton, I show up in a place like Winnipeg, and I'm like, hey, I have some books. Are you guys interested? And they're like, well, I'm like, well, I'm in the system. They're like, oh, you're in the system. Yeah, sure, we'll take some books and sell them That's for you. That's awesome. And so it's all because of this community. This community has been great to me. I've been to a couple <laughs> of like book shows up here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done well at them. And just there's a really great little arts community here, and it's I feel like I really was welcomed here and I really, really appreciate the city for the opportunity. You know what I mean? They've, they've allowed me to grow by coming here to start. Yeah. That's an amazing thing. So go yeah, to the this, I mean, take care of those ladies down there. Exactly. And it's, I, you know, it's one of my favorite places in town to go and just walk around. Yes. You know, flip through some of the books that are there and some of the deals that they got going on. Another thing that you have that we haven't talked about is the Big Beaver Diaries. Yes. Right, which is named after your um, place of origin. Yes, I'm from Big Beaver, Saskatchewan. Big, it's a... Uh, Really small town in uh, the middle of the province, just but six miles from the Montana border. Yeah, because there's a funny name. That name has brought me a lot of popularity. <laughs> well, it's got a lot of innuendo to it. Like we all know. Like <laughs> I, I had a neighbor when I was young. I used to hear this story when I was a kid. I had a, a neighbor who was a truck driver, and he was trucking somewhere. I don't know where he was at. If he maybe he's still in Saskatchewan at the time, and he ran into another guy, and the other guy said, "Hey, buddy, where are you from?" And my neighbor said, "I'm from Big Beaver." And the other truck said. Yeah, buddy, aren't we all? (laughs) 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 That's funny. So it's called Big Beaver Diaries because I've been writing in a journal for 15 years and I write every day and it's a lot of it goes up online now. I just, we made it, my girlfriend and I made a trip across Canada. We just went to like uh, all the way to Newfoundland and all through the Maritimes and we just stopped in St. Pierre and Miquelon. Do you know where that is? No. That is, you know, there's French islands owned by France that are closer to Canada than St. John's is. In between St. John's, or in between Newfoundland and Nova Scotia, there are, there are some islands that are owned by France that they've owned the whole time. Really? Really? Really. And I just put up an article on Big Beaver Diaries about them today, actually. And so we went there, and it's, it's actually Europe in North America. You go there, and like the plug-in outlets are all like oh, European Oh, the European style. ones? The license plates are all like the French license plate, like the yeah. European symbol with the F or with the, yeah, with the F on it. And it's all the, it's not like Quebec. Quebec is, Quebec feels very, very different than Canada, but this feels, I spent time in France. Uh, Saint-Pierre-Miquelon, they are France. Wow. And they're like right here, they're closer to the St. John's. And you can go there from, you take a ferry from Newfoundland to these little islands and you're actually going to the European Union. And everything is like, you spend Euro there. Wow. It's really, really fascinating. So my girlfriend makes amazing videos. And so yeah. I write articles and she's been making and fantastic she's making videos. videos along with them. Yeah, I did see some of that up on their website. And so they've been fun to make. Yeah. I also was laughing uh, when looking at your website because uh, it's no surprise to me looking at the top 10 articles. They're always the craziest stories. Yeah. Right? Like, what did I see? The sex shows in Thailand, the cocaine in Colombia. Yeah. <laughs> The, you've seen a lot of it, right? You've yeah, seen a little bit of it all. I've seen it all. It's crazy how much like those stories, like the sexuals in Thailand, bring traffic into that website. Yeah, you can't believe how much, how many hits that thing gets a day for those stories. Yeah, and like you know, the cocaine lab in in Colombia going and seeing that kind of stuff of like 
get people write me all the time about that stuff. They're like, hey, uh, can you tell me how to get to that? I'm like, well, <laughs> I'm sorry, pal. Yeah, you yeah, know? no, no. I had to figure it out. I'm sure you'll figure it out yeah. too. This is not what this is for. You know, <laughs> right. you know like, this, this isn't we're not here to help you get map, there. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. Um, so coming from a, a small, you know, Saskatchewan town, what inspired you to, to do this? You know, was there, a, was there a moment or was there just a, a, a feeling, an urge, a, a fire? I don't know. There's a couple things that are tied to it, but I guess... I don't know. Like I, I got to travel a little bit. Like we lived right on the U.S. border, so my parents would take me down mm. there for summer vacations all the time. And we were down there essentially every summer or every every single Sunday of my like my most of my life. We had a conservative government in Saskatchewan in the '80s when I yeah. was a little boy, and the bars weren't open in Saskatchewan at that time on Sundays. Yeah. And since we were only six miles from the Montana border, that just created like you know essentially rebellion, and so. My, us and my neighbors, everyone from our entire community, we all went down to the American towns every single Sunday yeah. when I was a kid. And so all of us kids grew up in Whitetail, Montana, and Flaxville, Montana on Sundays. And the cars on both sides of the, st- or the streets would be lined with cars from Saskatchewan. From Saskatchewan. There'd be no Americans in the bars. They'd just be yeah. full of Canadians. And that's what we did. That was our pastime on Sundays growing up. And then... Uh, you know, then a different government changed in Saskatchewan, and then uh, you were allowed to drink in bars on Sundays, so then everyone quit going to uh, Montana, and everyone just quit going out. <laughs> you know, yeah. once it was legal, no one cared about it anymore. Nobody cared. Yeah. And so it, it put a stop to it. So we spent lots of time down there traveling, and then when I was 12, my mom, she was going to take me somewhere, and she said, Stefan, she said, where do you want to go? She said, I'll take you anywhere in the world you want to go. And that's like, a, you're 12. You're like, anywhere I want to go in the world? Well, there is only one place to go. I'm like, Disney World, I was say right? Disneyland, yeah. So, Disneyland. you know, I could have gone to the pyramids. Yeah, something yeah cool, exactly. But, you know, but, of course, she probably knew that. Yeah. She didn't want to spend, you know, all yeah. the thousands of dollars to do that then. She knew we were going to end up in probably Florida or California. Yeah, it'd be hilarious if you're like, Australia. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I was just like, no. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so, I don't know. I got to see going there at that age. Then I just I started traveling a little bit. And then I started getting, like, crazy jobs in university. I would, I went... You know, I took, you know, my best friends in the world and we went down to uh, Oklahoma to go custom combining when I was like in university. And then I was like, I went and worked at like a summer camp in New York. And then I got a job on a cruise ship and I was like, and I started meeting all these people from really, really different parts of the world. And I was really popular on like cruise ships because I was getting on the ships and I'd meet people and be like, where are you from? And they'd be like... I'm from Moscow. And be like, how big is Moscow? They're like, 10 million. I don't know what's in Moscow. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. you know, I'd be like, where are you from? Be like, Sydney. I'm like, how big is it? And they're like, 4 million. I'd be like, you know, where are you from? They're like, London. I'm like, how big? 10 million. I'd be like, where are you from? Like, Big Beaver, Saskatchewan. And they're like, how big is that? I'm like, 55 people. And they're like, <laughs> 55,000. I'm like, nah, 55. 54 right now. <laughs> and they're like, Jesus. what? And so... I had all these crazy stories about like, you know, branding cattle and, and working on riding horses. And I, and it was fascinating to all these people. And it made me really, really popular when I would go mm-hmm. because everyone was from a different variation of a, of a similar sort of yeah. upbringing in a way. And so I was like, this traveling's okay. And yeah. so I finished university and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I met a friend who had been to had been to South Korea teaching English and I was like, maybe I'll go and try that and tell my dad I was going to move to South Korea to go teach English was like telling him I was planning a trip to the moon, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was a crazy idea yeah. for him to wrap his mind around. But I went and 
15 years have gone by, 14 years have just gone by mm-hmm. since I kind of left and went and did all this stuff. And I only meant to be gone for a year, but just yeah. I just met all kinds of great people who showed me different things in life that I could try and and different I was like well maybe I'll go live in a van in Australia for a year and then you know you're like well maybe I will go live in Europe and for a year and go spend some time in London and the rock scene in London and get involved in music and oh you know why not go live in Copenhagen I can get a visa go live there and work there so I did all these things and yeah and just time just went so quickly it was it wasn't very long ago it feels like I just went to sleep you know a few weeks ago when I was still in university and I woke up and I've done all these crazy things in these yeah. last 14 years. It's just gone. Well, and you spent quite a bit of time in Africa as well. Yeah, I went through there for six months, just dove deep into it and just got into it as far as I could. I, I love it. It's great. You know, I spent six months in Africa and everyone was like, you know, I have people that are like, ooh, we hope we don't have to come and get you out of there. Like, we're hoping we don't lose you there. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I went there and I spent six months and you know, I, I didn't see, I didn't really see a white person for six months. I was just deep in it, and all these little small towns just disappeared into Africa. And then, on all this time, I hitchhiked all over wherever I went. I found that if I had gotten a bus, there'd be like, you know, twenty three people in a little minivan, and it was so crowded. And so I was just a. This guy standing on the, the Westerner standing on the side of the road wearing a cowboy hat and people, the first car didn't pick me up, the second car would. And they usually yeah. had air conditioning. So I hitchhiked all over it. And in all that time, no one tried to pickpocket me. No one tried to steal wow. me. No harm, no nothing. In six months in, in this continent where you hear like yeah, all, yeah, bad all these horror stories. Yeah, yeah. And it was just amazing. So I don't know. The world's a safe place. It's just the media really, really likes to portray all the really, really bad stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what sells. Well, I think to me, I think, I think most people take pride in where they are and they want to show that pride. That's right. I think that's what I've experienced so far about my travels. Nowhere near anywhere near where yours has been. But I think most people, and as long as you adhere to a certain amount of, of c- civility and, and try not to find the... Worst places are the worst. You can usually navigate pretty well. Feel people yeah. as well, you know? Like, I've, I've done some pretty risky things. Like, I've gotten to vehicles with people that are just, I don't know, you shouldn't probably, my mom probably wouldn't be happy I was getting in a vehicle with these people in Africa or South America. And then, uh, and you know, you just... You look into someone's eyes and they say, get in. You're like, I don't think I'm going to get in. But if you get in, it's you make a decision and you think it's going to be safe, you get in, it's always, it's safe. You know, you can feel energy. Yeah. It's very, I don't mean to sound like a hippie. But yeah. you, you can feel energy. But you can. It's, uh, it's true and it's kept me safe. You know, in all these years, through, through all these countries and all this traveling and all these miles I've done, you know what's happened to me in all this time? I had some paper stolen out of my bag in Indonesia. Um, like in 2009, um, I had my phone stolen out of my hand in Bogota, Colombia on a bus in 2014. And I had my shoes stolen off a deck in Mexico in like 2016. That's it. Nothing else has happened to me in all this time. Nothing. Wow. Uh, okay, Stefan. Well, thank you very much for doing this with us today, man. It's been an, an absolute joy and very interesting. It's, it gives you a lot to think about when it comes to the idea of, um, you know, what a, what a life is like so different from ours. Like probably 
and then you've I, and, and when we talked earlier, you've had a couple of other experiences that would have shown you lives that are just so drastically different from our own, right? Uh, just an experience that doesn't seem to exist in a lot of the world anymore. Like one thing I've noticed in the little amount of traveling I've done, because the places I've gone are touristy, that um, it's almost too comfortable. Like I go to certain places in Mexico and you're like, well, I feel like I'm basically in the States. Yeah, that's You know, right. like I'm basically right. in America or you go to some of those other places and you feel like you're basically still in America. I think it's right. harder and harder to find those places where life is so drastically different. And, but then when you go into those places, it's hard sometimes to have an open mind to worlds that might be completely different, but you know, parts of it at least are okay. Right. You know, and I think that, uh, this book is definitely something to take a look at when it comes to getting an eye into something that not a lot of people have seen. Right. Right. Um, and so, uh, traveling through North Korea adventures in the hermit kingdom it's available now. Pick it up at Coles uh, across the country now. Yeah, Coles or, uh, or chapters. If if they don't have it in, they can order it in for you. Yeah, and so and they can pick, pick that up. Or Coles just go Amazon as well. It's on Amazon everywhere. You can you can have it in yeah, your house in three days? Absolutely. As I said, number one bestseller in South Korean travel guides. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought that was hilarious. Um, I think I still want to check out also one hundred places to get fucked up before you die. Um, but one thing I want I always leave in a finish in an interview with is I call read watch and listen. Uh, I mean, you can plug your own book in this if you want, or something else that you would recommend. Uh, something that, um, something you recommend that people read, something you recommend that they watch, and something you recommend that they listen to. Because something we haven't talked about much, too, is you're also a pretty big music fan as well. Um, so I'm interested to see what you say in there. Wow. It's something to listen to. I don't know. That's a, that's a hard thing to define. Mm-hmm. I, and I hate to sound like be cliche and be like listen to the Beatles but if you've never spent time on this band you should learn who this band is I <laughs> think that's a very very important thing but of course I'm like I like to listen to music that is like music I like something that isn't made on a computer I, all my stuff yeah. I listen to is the 70s and 60s music and of course like you know modern stuff that has a reputation that it's going to be something great so but I don't listen to old music don't what not to listen to is so much of this modern pop that's awful it's really awful find a genre of music you like and dive into it find an artist you like and dive into them but find real music and one thing we talked about earlier which wasn't before the podcast when we were having a conversation listen to listen to music live yeah that's right listen to music live no matter what size it is whether it's one person playing in a bar or it's a person playing in a stadium that's right you know um as for something to read, read something you never read. I spent, you know, years reading rock bios and I've read about, mm-hmm. you know, they're always the same. They always have like, a, they're always crazy, crazy, crazy. There's a peak and then it's all rehab. Yeah. And they're always the same. And I've read about so much hard drugs and partying and my life fell apart. And read something you'd never, ever read. Get like something interesting, like 1491, what the Americas were like before Columbus come mm-hmm. across. That's interesting stuff. Right now I'm reading, reading a, an Edgar Casey book, who was a clairvoyant, right? Okay. And so it's really, really interesting what he's, his psychic powers of like him being able to like figure out what was wrong with people. People would write him a letter and be like, you know, where are my keys? And he would, he would go into like a trance and he would like tell them where the keys were in their house and they'd find the keys. It's really weird, really weird. interesting. Um, 
And uh, what'd you say? You asked, listen, read it. Read, watch, and listen. Watch. I don't really watch. watch anything. I don't, I've been watching lots of documentaries on, I don't know. Yeah, actually, watch documentaries, watch yeah. stuff that you're, that creates an interest in you. Learn about something and not just filler as you come home from work and just whatever's playing on your television that you feel like everyone else is processing because that's what the cool thing is to do. Watch something you want to watch or don't waste your time. Well, there's definitely two different types of watching, right? There's, the watching to escape and the watching to learn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you maybe know? that's it. Maybe I feel like a lot of people like. Oh, I feel like I do, I do it all the time. Like yeah. if I want to shut my brain off, the, watching is the easiest way for me to shut my brain off. Sure. Because sure. it takes over all the sensories. Like if, for me, for sleeping, I'm the same way. It's like I got to put something on the television with some sound, and I'm out. Yeah. Because it just takes the brain, and that's the thing. And like. Yeah, but there's definitely things you can watch that do the exact opposite, which engage the brain and get you thinking about things. I guess everyone's sick of having to think all day after the other day, so I guess there's something to that, right? So. Well, I mean, I, I enjoy I it. I do it. I do it all the time, but I, I'm also mad at myself often for doing it. <laughs> yeah, it's you a guilty know, pleasure. Like, <laughs> you do it too much, it's just as bad as other things. For It's just it's junk food for the brain, right? That's, yeah, that's right. You know, everything needs to be in moderation. Yeah. Right? I, I remember uh, I heard a, a woman, I was working on a cattle station in Australia, and this woman, she Referred to it as uh, rot, uh, television rots your brain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like the expression so much. It's funny. Well, it, it can absolutely. I think it's like anything else that you can consume way too much of, and that you, um, if, if you if you give if you give your brain away more often than you feed it. Mm-hmm. You know, then you're just going to end up in a, in, a, in a drained situation, like you're, you're in a little bit of a lost situation. Yeah. But definitely, I, I appreciate all of those uh, recommendations. And Steph and I appreciate Steph and I appreciate you taking the time to come out here today. Uh, definitely t- check out BigBeaverDiaries.com and uh, check out the book as well. We've talked about where you can where you can see it. Um, Lots of social media. It's lo- all over the place. Yeah, man. Well, you got to do it. You got to do it all now. <laughs> you got to do it all now. My last conversation was, uh, my last episode was with Ron Tight, and we talked about um, the fight of an artist is, is that you want to, but you you wanted to make the art. You didn't want to sit up there and sell it the whole time. Yes. But you got to do the sell. Yes. You got to do That's a little bit of part. sell, and you've got to do the social media, and you got to do the push, push, push. Mm-hmm. But you. But for him and what he talked about, and what I believe too, because I mean I've worked in radio for as long as I have. We're all about the push. Is if you've got something great to share, people need to hear about it. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think this is a really cool thing that you're sharing with people. And uh, it's definitely worth checking out. So yeah. once again, Stefan, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank I really you. appreciate that. It was really cool.